0: Sansuk by Determamfid Chapter 11 Read by Sunkit and Shash of the Dwells of Gothlorien Meet a Dwerodam, Herrera, daughter of Frera A painfully upper-class Dwerodam from the Broadbeam ruling family, the line of Telfor. Rera is a silversmith known for her small and detailed work. She was wed to Thror, king under the mountain, in a match arranged by her father and the Council of Erebor. She moved to Erebor when she was barely eighty, and yet it didn't frighten her in the least. Prim, proper, and careful with appearances, Herrera enjoyed ceremony and tradition. She was never afraid to speak her mind, and thoroughly disapproved of all this long-beard stoicism. In fact, she thoroughly disapproved of practically everything except her grandchildren. She had dark brown hair and hazel eyes, and a rather fanciful beard with diamond beads plaited into it, like water droplets hanging from a branch. She had one child, Thrain. Herrera was killed when Smog attacked Erebor in 2770 TA. The world was fair, the mountains told. Days before the fall. of kings in and Is this what you mean? The secret's long hidden? The voice of Thorin's maker was heavy and soft, less of an oppressive weight than before. Ay, my child, They come to light now. Thorin touched the side of the giant anvil, at least twice his height. Once, Durin had awoken on that anvil, new-made and wide-eyed, his soul fresh and unused. Perhaps Durin had stood here where Thorin now stood, at the foot of their maker, also asking, why is this so? One who is close to you. Thorn remembered the words from long ago. One who betrayed you utterly. My student, said Mahal, sorrow hanging in the air like smoke. He had another name once. Sauron, Thorn said. Sauron was your student. Yes. Did you know that my Bilbo had his ring? Thorin's hand tightened on the strange wood of the anvil's foot. Did you? Hall paused, and then he said, Yes. Thorin's heart sputtered in its rhythm, and his hands ached for his sword. Then his eyes slid shut, and he bowed his head. What could be done? What could his maker do? The Valar had left Middle-earth, lest they destroy it utterly. By his own vow, Mahal was bound. "'You learn patience, my son,' Mahal said softly. "'I have had eighty years to learn it,' said Thorn, bitterness welling upon his tongue. "'I wait and wait to make my amends. I wait and wait for my hobbit. I wait. Patience has been a lesson taught to me by ungentle hands.' Your hobbit, Mahal repeated, and sighed. Thorin looked up. As always, the face of the great figure was indescribably beautiful, indescribably ancient, and somehow indistinct. He could never remember the exact details of it afterwards. Did you think I would not find out? he said in a low, tight voice. I may not be given to self-reflection, but I was bound to know my heart eventually. So you have realized it at last, said Mahal, his hand lowering to lift Thorin's chin and turn it this way and that. The touch was fond, fatherly and a little critical, a craftsman observing a fine piece of workmanship. Thorin steeled himself against his usual shutters. The touch of his Maker was full of such power and love, it was difficult to bear. I am sorry you could not know it in life, my son. Thorin stared, and his pulse jumped in his throat. You knew. I made your heart, Thorin. Mahal's hand, huge and hard from work, smoothed over the fall of Thorin's hair. Though you buried it in obsessions and vengeance and guilt and gold, I know when it beats with love. Suddenly Thorin needed to lean heavily against his hand upon the great anvil. You knew. Mahal smiled, and Thorin could feel it as a blossoming warmth in his belly and chest. He chose to follow you, to save you. He who has never followed another. Perhaps you should consider that. Thorin could not help but let out a small gasp at that, his throat tightening like a noose around it, and making it sound choked and strangled. He chose me. Me. He could have chosen another. He could have been loved and happy his whole life. Instead, he remains faithful to a ghost who cursed him and threw all his loyalty away. Shh. Mahal's voice cut straight through Thorin, and he shuddered. The hand against his head braced him, holding him up. Shh, child. You know better than to do this. Shh. Thorin took a deep breath. Then another. Finally, he was able to speak again. Why? he asked hoarsely, and perhaps Durin had felt like weeping as well. Some things are beyond even my doing, Thorin, said his maker. Thorin bowed his head once more. Mahal's hand nudged his chin up again. You have made good use of your gift so far. Stay true to your promise, my son. Even in the blackest hour, we may find a star to guide us. Thorin could feel a faint, unhappy smile tugging at his lips. A star, very subtly put. I The hand withdrew, and Thorin peered up at the great, rough face with its tender expression. Stay with him. Your hobbit is tied to the ring, and now so is the fate of all of that company. Our fierce young star has his own part to play in this. He is a duero all alone, and yet I feel that he is about to step into something that will change Kazad forever. Thorin let out a long, shaking breath, feeling his heart beat in the bone of his clenched jaw and neck. Then he turned away. He would go to the pool of Giblin Zaram and see Bilbo again. He would sing to his hobbit until he fell asleep. He would do what his mother ordered and not think of his guilt any more. Thorin, said Mahal, one last thing. He paused and looked back. The great Vala of craft and stone seemed to be for lack of a better word, embarrassed. Please, call off your nephew? Thorin smiled. Some things are beyond my doing. He bowed low, and then he left. They were a fortnight out of Rivendell when their fortunes changed. It began innocently enough. The man Boromir had taken upon himself to teach the two youngest hobbits a thing or two about swordplay. There was less swordplay and more giggling than Thorin felt was strictly necessary. Foolishness, he muttered. He's just sour because he bet on Pippin, said Nori. Any twit could see that marriage the more vicious one. Did you seriously just call a hobbit vicious? asked Orin incredulously. Comparatively vicious, said Nori. Pippin thinks all of this is great fun, whereas Merry's got more of a clue, you see. Vicious hobbits, Owen said, shaking his head. That'll be the day. They're doing well, said Balin, studying their form. Boromir is a good teacher. As Pippin kicked the man's shin, and they went down in a pile, "'Thorin fought a smile. "'Perhaps he needs to take a few lessons himself.' "'The Shire! For the Shire!' cried Merry Pippin, "'clamoring over the man and whooping their triumph. "'Boromir cried out in surprise, "'and then his rarely heard laughter peeled out over the valley. "'It was good to hear him laugh. "'Boromir should not always be stirred duty and concern for his people.' Thorin identified with his worries far too closely, and he knew the dangers of losing oneself in them. Then Aragorn stepped in, and promptly got himself tripped for his troubles. Frodo laughed at the ridiculous sight of two men overpowered by two hobbits. Thorin was also relieved to see him in a better frame of mind. He was still pale at times, and occasionally the wound in his shoulder pained him. Thorin had nearly exploded when he had discovered that Frodo was stabbed by a Morgul blade. Not even his nephews would go near him for a day. The damned, cursed, blasted elf suddenly stood and moved to perch on a tall rock, his eyes fixed on the horizon. The wind caught his pale gold hair as he seemed to pierce through the miles with his gaze, swift and sure as one of his arrows. "'What do you see?' Gandalf said, coming to full alertness. "'What's that?' asked Sam, frowning. His sausages sizzled away in the pan, ignored for the moment. Thorin turned and squinted. There was a dark shape moving in the sunlight from the east. "'Perhaps a wisp of cloud,' Gimli suggested." and he went back to wetting the edge of his axe. Thorin had already told him he was using too much water, but the stubborn lad refused to listen. "'It's moving fast,' said Boromir, stilling the hobbits with his hands, and against the wind. "'Crabane, from Dunland!' the elf cried, and Gandalf stood immediately. "'Hide!' he bellowed. "'Take cover!' said Boromir ushering the hobbits under a scrubby bush. Gimli immediately rolled underneath an overhanging ledge of rock, and Aragorn and Frodo threw themselves beneath a small cliff and lay very still. "'How could he see that?' asked Nori, as the evil-looking birds swept over the escarpment where only seconds before there had been a party of nine walkers. "'They were bleeding miles away!' health see well in daylight, said Ori. Really, really, really well. Gandalf emerged, his face drawn into lines of anger and determination. Spies of Saruman, the passage south is being watched. He turned to the great shining peak of the Red Horn, glinting like blood in the sun. We must take the pass of Caradhras. Too close to Moria said Balin, and he looked at Thorin with grim purpose. Far too close. I know, Thorin replied, a sinking feeling in his stomach as he watched Gimli shoulder his axe and begin to pick up his pace, his face alive with anticipation. The elf fell into step at the back of their fellowship, and Gimli glanced backwards. That was well spotted, he said gruffly. It is nothing to those who have eyes, said the elf, waving a hand at dismissal. Gimli laughed. The elf turned to him more fully. Why do you laugh? Try the feat again in full darkness, Master Elf, and we will discover which of our party has eyes, Gimli said, grinning. The peaks of Barazanbar, zorak and Bundu Shathur rose high in the icy winds as they passed the borders of Holland, and Gimli paused to take a breath and gaze upon them. Valin and Thorin followed his gaze, and behind them Frerin swore softly. "'Why do you stop?' asked Pippin worriedly. "'Are you ill?' "'I could do with a breather myself,' said Sam, hitching his pack and tugging on Bill's lead." This land isn't half hilly. No, I'm not ill, Master Pippin, Gimli said, patting the youngest hobbit's shoulder with a fond smile. Just taking in the view. Those mountains are special to us. To dwarves, that is. I've only seen them once before, and that was nigh on eighty years ago. Eighty years, said Merry, and he shook his head. All right, since you're handing out the lessons... What's so special about those mountains, then? Gimli lifted his head, and his deep eyes were distant and longing. We've worked the image of those mountains into gold and song, for generations upon generations. There is Barazinbar, cruel Karadras, which men call the Red Horn. Beside him stands zigil and Bundu Shathur, or Silvertine and Cloudy Head. In their arms lies the valley, which we cannot forget, hazanul Bazaar, the Dimril Dale, and underneath them lies mighty khazad the Dwerodelf, called Moria by the elves, the greatest kingdom of dwarves there has ever been. That, said Balin disapprovingly, was far too much Khuzdul for the ears of men or hobbits, let alone the elf. What has Gloyne been teaching this boy? We make for the Dale, Gandalf told him. If we take the Redhorn Pass, we shall come down the Dimril Stale into the deep Vale of the Dwarves. There lie the dark waters of kel said Gimli wistfully. There lies Durin's crown, and there my cousins gave up their lives. My heart trembles that I might look upon it soon. Gandalf chuckled. May you have the joy of the sight, my good dwarf. Frodo paused, and then he looked up at Gimli. Your cousins? Aye, Gimli said, and tucked a wisp of red hair back under his helm. My cousins, Fondin, who was the father of Balin and Dwalin, and Freyrin, who was brother to both Thorin Oakenshield and Dees, Lady of the Mountain. Frodo's eyes turned to him, full of wonder. You were cousin to that king? He's heard of you, brother, Frerran whispered. Perhaps Bilbo has been carrying tales? Only the good ones we trust, Balin said. There were plenty of the bad to choose from, Thorne muttered. Gimli laughed. I am related in one way or another to the whole of Bilbo's company, yes but that would make you a lord. I don't do anything with the honor, Gimli said, and began to trudge forward again. My father is a lord. I am but a warrior. Thorin gave Gimli a hard look. You are far more than just a warrior, Nidiel. You are more than your blade. Do not speak of yourself that way. Lords and kings and princes everywhere we look, Mr. Frodo. "'Sam whispered. "'I'm beginning to feel a mite small if you take my meaning.' "'Not to worry, Master Hobbit,' Gimli said, "'and he smiled warmly at the gardener. "'I am but Gimli the dwarf, "'and that is enough of a title to content me.' "'Pride isn't his weakness, that's for certain,' "'said Batlin thoughtfully. "'Gimli? He has pride, and plenty of it,' said Freyrin. Aye, that he does, but it is pride in his people and in his family, not so much in himself. No, there's not a scrap of vanity in the lad, said Balin. Vivancle Mahal, Thorin said, still scowling at him. Hurry up, Aragorn called. The snows come fast in these woods, and we must press on if we are to make Caradhras before he buries us. "'Cheerful sort, Aragorn,' Gimli muttered, and kept walking. By chance, Gimli ended up walking behind the elf, and he kept his head down as they made their way through the empty lands of Hollin. They had kept their distance from each other since that first camp, to the benefit of all involved, Thorn rather thought. "'Why do you let them pester you with their questions?' the elf asked. "'They chatter constantly.' Even the patience of elves would be stretched. Ah, they're but children, Gimli answered cautiously, and they remind me of loved ones long lost. The elf missed a step, and then he looked back at Gimli. Now and then I forget that mortal frailty, he said, his voice also careful. Who were they? Gimli lifted his eyes and took a breath. Do you ask because you wish to know, Master Elf, or do you ask to make polite conversation? Because one is welcome and the other is not. I would not speak of them if I did not have to. The elf said something in his liquid tongue before saying, It is both. Did you lose a young one? Gimli shook his head. "'I have no wife or husband waiting for me, nor children. "'I have not been so blessed. "'Then friends, perhaps?' "'Aye, friends, family,' Gimli said. "'And then he sighed and seemed to relent. The "'Young hobbits remind me of my cousins Fili and Keely. "'They were so young and bright, "'and they were cut down before they had even seen a hundred. "'Kili was very like Master Pippin.' "'always curious and cheerful, if not always wise. "'Mary is more like Feely, more aware of the responsibilities he faces. "'I had not thought to think of them here, but there it is.' "'The elf was silent for a moment. "'Then he said, "'My apologies, Master Dwarf. "'We never tell Feely or Keely." Thorin said. "'Never.' Frerin looked bereft. But... No, Frerin, You cannot tease them for reminding Gimli of hobbits, or vice versa. Or I shall tell them about the incident with the cheese and the bedclothes and the crown and father's beard. Killjoy, Frerin muttered. Gimli, Legolas, Aragorn shouted. Keep up. I am not made for speeds such as these. Gimli grumbled. No wonder they call him Strider. Legolas raised an eyebrow. You do stump along, don't you? What good may you be, then? You do not have speed nor size on your side, Master Dwarf. What can you offer? Gimli squinted up at him from underneath his helm. Now that was not so polite. Since we are discarding propriety right and left, I felt it did no harm to ask, Legolas said. You can hardly dislike me more than you already do. Humph. Gimli kept walking for a few moments of silence, while Thorin tried to skin the elf with his glare. How dare he? Gimli was a fine, loyal, noble duero and a superb axeman. Then Gimli took off his glove and held up his hand wordlessly, spreading it before his eyes to show the elf. He had the great thick fingers of gloin and thrain, broad and powerful. Digging into his belt pouch, he brought out a small golden bead. Then, between thumb and forefinger, and with barely any apparent effort, he squeezed it flat. Tossing it to the elf, He began to hum an old walking tune as he stumped along behind the man of Gondor. Legolas lifted the disc to his eye, and then he bit down upon it experimentally. His eyes widened, and he looked after Gimli with an astonished expression before following after the fellowship. The bead he slipped into his pack. It is a strange fate that we must suffer so much fear and doubt over so small a thing. Thorin stared at the man, and his heart sank like a stone. No, no, not again. Such a little thing. Knuckling his eyes, Thorin wanted to roar his outrage at the uncaring grey sky, at the Valar, at the fates, at the retreating fellowship. He only wishes to save his people, he snarled. Why must you test us this way? And why must we always, always fail? I still say Frodo looks like Thorin, said Feely stubbornly. I think you're crazy, said Kithy, tossing his head. Frodo is tiny and adorable. No one could ever call Thorin adorable. Not if they valued their head. Thorin growled at them, and his nephews simply laughed. "'No, look, it's his eyes, see?' Fili said. "'They've both got blue eyes.' "'So does the elf, and no one's suggesting he's anything like Thorin,' retorted Kili. Thorin snarled wordlessly, and his ridiculous nephews both scurried after the Fellowship, snickering, their feet leaving no mark in the new-fallen snow." Grathras was doing his best to repel his unwanted visitors. The snows fell every night, deep and thick. The hobbits were sinking up to their hips in places. Each camp, they tried to help each other with their cold-numbed feet, Pippin and Merry, Sam and Frodo. Thorin worried for them, but he would not suggest the obvious option to Gimli for all the Mithril and khazad doom. Unfortunately, that was precisely the issue at hand. My cousin is just below us, Gimli muttered. He would feed and supply us richly, and we would be out of this forsaken snow. Cold I can handle. I'm a dwarf of the north, and the cold is a familiar enemy. It's this constant being wet that will drive me mad. Would you kindly be quiet, Gimli? Gandalf barked. He met Thorin's eyes, and they shared a moment of commiseration. Leadership was hard enough without the continuous griping. Gandalf, we could go through the mines of Moria. Why do we risk this road? Gimli said, and Thorin sucked in a breath. No, he said. No, Gandalf, you must not risk the mines. They are not safe. He prayed that this was one of the occasions when the wizard could hear him. It appeared that luck was on his side. Gandalf said, No, Gimli, the mines are no place for the ring. I would not take that path unless there were no other choice. But my cousin Balin rules there, with my friends and my uncle Oin. Gimli cried. Thorin's heart ached for him. I have not seen them in long, long years, Plony, Frar and Floy, gruff old Nally, and dear little Ori. They would give us warm welcome, and Balin would feast us and help us, I know it. There's a word I like, said Pippin. What, help? said Legolas. Feast, said Pippin with relish. I'm pretty fond of warm myself, said Sam. We should take the Gap of Rohan and make the way south to the White City, Boromir said stoutly. We should not have taken this path. Boromir required watching. Thorin had calmed himself with a great effort, and had observed the man closely after that incident with the ring. Thorin knew the obsession with gold. None better. He had seen a spark of that flame alight in Boromir's eyes fanned by desperation for his people. That feeling Thorin also knew well, too well. We do not aim for Minas Tirith, but for Mordor, Gandalf said, and he turned to lead them on. Ormir glabbered and shouldered his shield, and fear for his people flickered briefly over his face. The path got even rougher in a shallow dip against the side of the mountain. The snow turned to deep drifts, and beneath it there were the dead and slimy remains of grass roots, treacherous underfoot. The hobbits did better with their bare feet, but Gimli's heavy hobnails were of little use, and the men fared even worse. "'It's slippery as a fish. If only I could get my feet onto solid rock,' Gimli grumbled. "'I wish this lot would go off to Hobbiton,' Sam puffed, swiping snow away from his face. "'Folk might welcome it there.' "'If I was tucked into my bed watching it snow through my nice, thick windows, I'd like it better as well,' Mary said. Aragorn held up a hand, his hard face intently listening. "'Is that the wind?' Gandalf peered through the swirling flakes and then bent his head. Wind or no, we must press on. It was tiresome going. The men pushed the snow aside with their long, strong limbs, creating a path for the sodden and shivering hobbits. Gimli trudged through regardless, his helmet at times barely visible through the bleak expanse of blinding whiteness. Pippin seemed rather fond of the dwarf, and stayed close, though that could have been for the warmth. It had been remarked upon that, compared to hobbits, elves, and men, Gimli seemed remarkably warm. "'Your fires must have heated your blood, Master Gimli,' said Pippin, his teeth chattering as they made a pitiful camp against a cliff. or no, this fire will not light,' Gimli replied glumly. "'The wood is wet.' "'Stand back.' Gandalf said, and a spark of green and blue flame rose from his staff, and the wood hissed and spat and sputtered. Well, if any are watching, I have now written, Gandalf is here, in signs that all can read from here to Rivendell, he said, knocking the snow from his hat, and pressing his back against the cliff that was their shelter. Pass this around. Drink sparingly. We may have need of it again. Is that elvish cordial? Gimli said suspiciously. "Mmph." I'll pass. Ooh, said Pippin, and he reached for the bottle with eager little hands. Wait, you greedy thing, scolded Sam. Mr. Frodo's half frozen, and you've been clinging to that warm dwarf like a barnacle. Begging your pardon, Mr. Gimli. Gimli was watching the blue and green fire with a doubtful look. "'No offence taken, Master Gamji. "'Little Hobbit, wait your turn. "'I dare say Aragorn and Boromir have more need of that stuff than you or I.' "'From where he stood lightly on the surface of the snow, "'Legolas tilted his head. "'You have been near swallowed by the snow, Master Dwarf. "'Do you not wish to warm yourself?' "'Oh, get by,' Gimli said dismissively. "'We'll stop until the dawn.' Gandalf told them. Perhaps by then the snow will have passed on. But by morning, the snow still fell in thick flurries. Gimli slapped his limbs to wake them, and the sharp sounds woke Frodo. Morning already? Frodo said, rubbing his face. I don't feel as though I've slept a wink. Aye, and another day of trudging through wet snow to look forward to. Gimli said, and chuckled. Adventures aren't all they're cracked up to be, after all. Perhaps I should be glad I missed out on the last one. Can you imagine Gimli in a barrel? Keeley said, and he and Feely erupted into sniggers. He'd headbutt his way out of the dungeons, said Feely. And it'd work, Keeley agreed, laughing. Thorin stifled his sigh. "'Do you mean Uncle Bilbo's holiday?' Frodo asked, as he and Gimli covered the fire pit and began to pack up the camp. They allowed the others to sleep, though the elf had gone somewhere to look at the rising sun or something equally frivolous. "'That's right. I begged my father to be allowed to go, but alas, I was only sixty-two. Thorin would not take any under the age of seventy. Oh, Frodo said, and he looked puzzled for a moment. It seems so strange. I mean, sixty is passing middle age for a hobbit, and yet it's only young to a dwarf. Gimli smiled at him. Very young. For uncle met me a few years after the quest, and no doubt he thought me a very raw and callous youth. Why, I could barely braid my beard properly, and it stuck out in two tufts. Terribly embarrassing. I'm glad none here saw it. That's really important, isn't it? Gimli paused, in rolling up his bedroll, and then chuckled. Let's say, for instance, that there were those in our party who could remember you as a little hobbit lad without a curl on his feet. Say no more, Furdo laughed. I don't like this conversation at all, Keeley said sulkily. Then he glanced over at Thorin with a vaguely martyred expression. Gandalf's eerily open eyes blinked once or twice. Then he sat up abruptly. What time is it? Not yet six, Gimli replied. And it still snows, Gandalf sighed. Well, nothing for it. We must press on. Soon enough, their party was moving again pushing through the clinging snow and struggling up the punishing slopes of Karathras, The snow began to fall faster and thicker, and soon it was difficult to see the person right in front. "'They'll never last in this!' Kili yelled over the mournful howling of the wind. "'They must keep on!' Thorin shouted back, and he glared at the men as they pushed the snow aside with their great limbs." They must make it to the pass. If Gandalf could use his staff, he could melt a path for you, Legolas suggested. And if elves could fly, they might fetch the sun to save us, Gandalf growled. I cannot burn snow. Over that shoulder there, Boromir called. Aragorn, do you see it? There. The snow doesn't seem as thick. It's protected by that rock yonder. "'We make for it, then,' Aragorn called back, and his voice was strained with the effort. The elf was watching with a smile on his lips, and Thorin resented his apparent amusement at the plight of hobbits, men, and dwarf. The men were working hard to help the hobbits through the punishing terrain, and all the damned princeling could do was smile. "'You seem most suited to this work, Master Mole,' he said to Gimli who is neck-deep in snow and spluttering. But I say, let a plowman plow, but choose an otter for swimming, and for running light over grass and leaf or over snow, an elf. Thorin watched with infuriated amazement as Legolas stepped forward onto the blanket of white, and his feet barely made a depression in the snow at all in their soft hide-shoes. He leapt forward nimbly and turned, almost dancing in place. Farewell, he laughed. I go to find the sun. With that he was gone, swift as a bird. Gimli growled, and Thorin growled with him. Back, Gandalf roared. An avalanche began at his cry, and tumbled down the slopes where Pippin had just been standing. Boromir caught up the half-frozen hobbit and held him tightly. Pippin's face was a picture of misery. "'This blizzard is not natural!' shouted Boromir, flakes sticking in his eyebrows and eyelashes. "'That voice!' said Legolas. "'Do you hear it?' "'I cannot hear nothing but the screaming of the wind!' Gimli said, hoarse from the cold." The blizzard battered at the side of the mountain, and indeed the wind seemed to shriek. They have to get through, Thorin said, and willed them to keep moving. The snowdrifts were taller than Merry's curly head. I don't think they... began Thili. He was interrupted by the elf. There! There is a fell voice in the air! he exclaimed, and Gandalf's eyes widened. It's Saruman, he roared, and a rumble of thunder made the air quake around them, and sent shale and snow tumbling down upon them with an almighty crash. The wizard immediately stood forward and began to chant, shaking his staff at the distant south. What's he doing? said Sam. Trying to stop Saruman, I suppose, Frodo answered, his teeth chattering. Keep close, Sam. How are your feet? Don't rightly know, Mr. Frodo. I lost touch with them some time back, if you take my meaning, Sam said wryly. Gandalf's chant rose to a carrying bellow, and then he broke off with a gasp as a bolt of lightning smashed into the mountain's peak. Snow came falling in deluge, and before Thorin's horrified eyes, The Fellowship were swallowed by the avalanche. Gimli, he choked before he could stop himself. Frodo! Whiteness and stillness enveloped the slopes of Caradhras. No, said Ori. They're all right. I know they're all right. Nothing's moving, said Keely, turning around and around, his eyes searching the ground, and his face creased in increasing worry. They're not moving. Thorin! Barked Feely, Call again. Call Gimli. Gimli! Thorin shouted, and he was echoed by Oyn. Gimli, up here. To me, Gimli, son of Loin, To me. Follow my voice. Like strange flowers, they came struggling up through the snow. Sam first, then the men and the elf. Gimli shook the snow off with the appropriate amount of anger at the treachery of the White Wizard. The hobbits clambered out stiffly, and Merry was coughing and spluttering. Frodo looked as though he'd had the wind knocked out of him, and Pippin looked as though he might cry. Thorin sagged against Fili's shoulder. He had nearly thought. They're not out of danger yet, his nephew murmured seriously. Saruman will try again, and if he doesn't get them, then Karadhras has tricks of his own.' "'Thorin closed his eyes. "'There is the land of the horse lords.' Phily turned to look at Boromir, who was shaking snow out of his clothes and hair. "'Is there?' "'Thorin glanced over at the man, and nodded once. "'Indeed.' "'We must get off the mountain!' Make for the Gap of Rohan and take the west road to my city, shouted Boromir, gathering the two youngest hobbits close and wrapping his cloak around them as best he could. You cannot take the ring to Minas Tirith, Thorin said, and turned to see Gandalf's eyes, deep and shadowed, watching him intently. Hear me, that man fears for his city, but I fear for his heart. I know that hope and dread, Gandalf. He is falling, and falling fast. You cannot set such a temptation before the eyes of a desperate man. He smiled, though it was humorless. It would be like walking into Erebor after 170 years of exile. Gandalf's lips tightened. Thorin thanked Mahal. He had heard. The gap of Rohan takes us too close to Isengard, said Aragorn. Oh, I forgot about that, muttered Feely. I wish I had a map. Do the halls even have maps? wondered Ori. I'd love a map, too. We know, said Keeley, But we want to use it, not coo over it. Ori glared at them. We cannot pass over the mountain. Let us go under it, Gimli said. Let us go through the mines of Moria. Thorin jerked, and his head swung back to Gandalf's. "'I have taken that road once before,' he said slowly, and he met Thorin's eyes with a significant look. "'It can be done. It is not a pleasant journey. "'Still, I would not lead you into Moria if there were no hope of coming out again.' "'I have also taken that road,' said Aragorn, in a dark voice." and he would not say more of it. Thorin held Gandalf's steady blue gaze and tried to keep the plea from his voice. Is there no other way? Gandalf shook his head slightly. None, it seems. Fili jerked his head back towards Ori and Oin. They are not going to like it. I am not all that enamored of the idea myself, Thorin growled those damned holes never leave us be.' "'We're Durin's folk, Thorin,' Fili said gently. "'You taught me that yourself. "'Durin's home will ever draw us like a lodestone.' "'Yes, and devour us just as quickly.' "'Thorin turned to Gimli, his fierce and bright star. "'Did I stop him from giving his life to that place thirty years ago?' only to prolong the day of reckoning. That's suitably gloomy, Fili said. Have a bit more faith in Gimli than that. We cannot stay here, Boromir cried. This will be the death of the hobbits. Let the ring-bearer decide, said Gandalf finally. Frodo hesitated, his eyes huge in his cold reddened face. Then he blurted, "'We will go through the mines.' "'So be it,' said Gandalf. "'As they began the arduous task of wading back down the paths "'they had struggled so hard to scale, "'Gandalf glanced back at Thorin again. "'He had the gall to look unaffected, "'as though he were not leading the Ring and Frodo and Gimli "'and the brave young hobbits and the two valiant men "'to a blood-soaked charnel house.' He allowed all the fury and fear in his heart to show on his face, his fists clenching and unclenching. His breath was coming fast and jerky, making his ribs shudder and ache. "'You will not find Balin, nor Ori, nor Oin," he said. "'No living dwarf waits for you in the mines. "'You are going to your death!' Gandalf grunted. "'Possibly, my dear dwarf. Possibly. Still, what is death but another path to take? You of all people know that.' Thorin's jaw snapped shut, and he watched as the fellowship made their laborious way through the blizzard. Then he scowled up the mountain peak. "'Cruel Karathros they named you,' he growled. "'Aye, cruel above and below.' The camp that night was miserable. Thorns seethed at its edges, and the Fellowship was far too weary to make much noise or even light a fire. The Hobbits immediately threw themselves into their bedrolls, shivering, and even Pippin had nothing to say as he curled up between Gimli and Merry, shamelessly stealing as much warmth as he could. All that could be seen of Sam was his curly hair. Frodo stared unhappily at the rocks and did not speak. Are you sure of this, Gandalf? Aragorn murmured. I have also taken that dark road. I would not have agreed to take the ring through Moria at any price. It isn't the cost that drives us, Aragorn, Gandalf said back, his old voice low and rusty. It is necessity, and that as a much harsher mistress than any commerce of the world. Thankfully, you are not the one who agreed to it. This is Frodo's burden, and thus Frodo's choice. We are only here to assist him. If you remember nothing else, remember that. Aragorn pressed his lips together and turned away. His dark eyes scanned the horizon capped by the jagged, mocking edges of the mountain. That ill wind still blows from the south. Saruman, no doubt, Gandalf said, leaning on his staff. He seeks to discover whether his efforts have succeeded. Still, I am not without my own skills, and have hidden us from him for the moment. He will perhaps think we perished on Caradhras. I do not think we are that lucky, muttered Thorin darkly. Aragorn glowered. Saruman is not the white wizard for nothing. Indeed, Gandalf said, and a brief flash of pain passed over his face. Still, Moria has one great benefit. The doors are invisible when closed, and not even the arts of Saruman may find them. "'Small mercy when all the orcs of the misty mountains wait within,' Aragorn said. "'Do you hold out hope of reaching the dwarfs' kin somewhere in those mines?' Thorin's breath escaped him in a rush, suddenly glad that the others had left him earlier to take the last watch alone. "'Didn't you hear me before?' he growled. "'You infuriating wizard! You only ever hear what you wish to hear!' Gandalf was either a consummate actor, or he was not concentrating enough to see Thorne at that moment. He wouldn't put either one past the wily old meddler. I hope it will be proved wrong, he said gravely. But you do not think so, Aragorn said. Gandalf shook his head. No, Oyn's spirit stood behind you for half the day, you itinerant grey nuisance! Thorin threw up his hands in frustration. You... oh! Can you two keep it down? Gimli suddenly grunted. My head is full of your mumbling. Thorin cursed, and then slapped his hand over his mouth. Aragorn looked a little startled. My apologies, Master Gimli. ''No one's master, laddie,'' Gimli yawned. ''Just Gimli. Hobbitish propriety is contagious, it seems,'' Aragorn's lips twitched. ''Possibly.'' ''You surprise me, Gimli,'' said Gandalf, and he arranged himself with his back to a withered tree. ''It is a wonder you can hear anything over that wind. I never knew dwarves' ears were so keen.'' I, well, they aren't, he mumbled. Working in forges and mines will do that to you after a while. My uncle is deaf as a post. Still, even a post could hear that racket. I remember your uncle's little difficulty, Gandalf said carefully. Still, we were speaking rather quietly. Well, perhaps it was the howling of the wind, Gimli conceded. Thorin bit down on his tongue, but he never learned to hold his temper. "'It's certainly howling up a storm,' Sam said in a sleepy voice. "'Howling up a storm!' said Pippin from somewhere under his blanket. "'Good one, Sam!' Suddenly Aragorn leapt to his feet. "'Howling up a storm! It is howling with wolf voices! The wargs have come west of the mountains!' Gimli sat upright, and Pippin slumped over behind him with a cross noise of protest. "'It is! My ear's too numb to make it out!' he cursed. "'Do we run?' "'We stay,' Gandalf said. "'The hobbits cannot move again until morning. "'Still, we should make for the top of this rise. "'We will be able to defend it more easily. "'Lagolas!' The elf appeared out of the shadows, his face carved by moonlight. Mithrandir, Gorrhoth! We cannot outrun them. We make for the top of this hill, Gandalf said. I have been there already, Legolas said, inclining his head. There is a small knot of twisted trees, cold and old. They do not remember warmth. Any fire will be seen for miles around. Wow. That last piece of information was actually useful, Gimli grunted. Legolas ignored him. We cannot avoid the hunting packs. We should lure them towards our weapons. Where the warg hunts, the orc also rides, Aragorn said. The orc dies just as readily as the wolf, said Boromir. Move, Gandalf barked, and Thorin sighed in relief as they all finally stopped talking and started running for the top of the hill. Gimli was pulling his spinning axe from his holsters as he ran, and one of Fili's throwing axes was in his other hand. Men and elves and wizards, he spat as he charged after the scurrying hobbits. You will all talk yourselves to death. Is the moonlight enough, Legolas? Aragorn said, drawing his sword. "'When the dwarf lights that fire, I will do better,' Legolas said. "'I wish the stars were brighter tonight.' "'Hold on, I can do everything at once,' Gimli growled. "'He pulled together a tangle of dead branches from the scrubby trees at the top of the hill. "'In the center, there was a broken circle of boulder stones, which would serve as a sort of wall. "'Sam and Mary found some withered leaves that had blown between the stones.' And with these, Gimli soon had their beacon lit. There. Now what was it you wanted seeing? Legolas frowned. Is this what you meant about full darkness? Gimli squinted up at him. Well, what do you expect of an underground race? We cannot forever bump into each other. For a start, it would make mining even more of a challenge than it already is. To the front, Gimli, Gandalf said curtly. Can you see anything? Gimli pushed his helm up a little on his forehead, peering out beyond their circle of boulders. Nothing from this side, nor to the north. They will come from the east, most likely, Gandalf said. Yes, there, Gimli said calmly, hefting his throwing axe. A great warg chieftain, I would say. He has the scent. Does he have a rider? asked Boromir, his face tense. "'No,' Gimli said. "'He is alone.' Gandalf lifted his staff and strode forward, his head high and his hair ragged and flung behind him. "'Listen, Hound of Sauron,' he cried. "'Gandalf is here. Fly if you value your foul skin. I will shrivel you from tail to snout if you come within this ring.' The wolf snarled, a chilling sound full of dreadful promise. The hobbits shuffled together, clustered close behind the dwarf, elf, and man. Then the warg threw his head back and howled long and high, as though he were summoning the rest of his pack to the fray. Legolas drew an arrow from his quiver. Guide me, he said shortly. Do you see the copse of dead trees we passed earlier? Gimli said. He stands before them. Yes, I see him now, Legolas said. You spoke truly, Master Dwarf. In full darkness you have eyes. Then he loosed the arrow just as the warg sprang for the wizard. With a deep and musical twang, it lodged itself deep into the warg's throat. There was a horrible sound, and the huge dark shape thudded heavily to the ground. Gandalf stood poised and ready, but no immediate attack followed the warg chieftain's call. He began to back towards the ring of stones, his staff held at the ready, and Glamdring drawn and glittering. "'That was a fine shot,' he said. "'I hope you have many more.' "'I do not miss,' Legolas said, in a slightly offended tone. "'That sounds like a challenge,' Gimli said to himself." could be interesting thorne shook his head perhaps this is not the right time nay perhaps not now gimli conceded and sighed it would be a fine thing to see him taken down a peg or two though without the imminent threat of death thorne sighed gimli your priorities are becoming a trifle obscure I like not this new silence, said Boromir. What do they wait for? Their new leader will call the attack, no doubt, said Gandalf. I fear we will miss the silence before long. At that moment, a great howling broke out all around them, wild and fierce and full of savage pleasure. A great host of wargs had crept up and surrounded their hill, and Gimli gripped his axes tightly. The fire grows too slowly, Legolas said. How many? Too many to point out at once, he growled. an arrow, it will hit a warg. That is not reassuring, said Legolas dryly. Oh, I'm sorry, did you want reassuring? Gimli snapped back. We're not having one of your feasts in the forest now, laddie. Legolas narrowed his eyes. Just guide me, dwarf. Not likely, elf, Gimli retorted. Let you have all the fun? I think not. Would you two join us at some point this age? Gandalf roared, battling with two wargs at once. With a great cry of, Baruch Kazad Khazad Menu. Gimli leapt over the ring of stones to loose Fili's throwing axe directly into the face of a charging wolf. He then spun and sent his short-handled spinning axe across the throat of another, before punching the snapping beast in the eyes with his mailed fist. The huge skull cracked underneath Gimli's knuckles, and then he was whirling once more, the axe spinning in tight figurates that the arms of no elf nor man could hope to replicate. Gimli stood like a rock his feet planted firmly on the earth around him as his axe dealt shining silver death the elf stared for a moment and thorin felt unaccountably smug all of a sudden gimli son of gloin is the best axeman in two centuries he told the haughty creature with quite a sense of satisfaction and you thranduil's son had the audacity to ask what use he would be. Legolas gathered himself quickly, and the bow of Merkwood began to sing its deep and musical song once more. To Thorin's displeasure, the elf had not boasted unduly of his own skill. His arrows indeed never missed, but flew straight and true and unerring for eyes, throats, and temples. Even the darkness and the slowly growing flickering of the fire did not affect his uncanny accuracy. His hand flickered back and forth from his quiver with unearthly speed, seeming to blur the air around him. At one point, he sent two arrows flying simultaneously to fell two separate wargs, a feat Thorin had to blink at. Aragorn was possibly the best swordsman Thorin had ever seen. His style was undoubtedly elvish, but Thorin recognized a solid Rohirrim move amongst the fluid elvish motions. Then he began to see others as well. Here, a double parry familiar to the men of the north. There, a southern Gondorian gambit. Neither was the man shy of fighting dirty. To Thorin's great surprise, Aragorn fainted left before drawing a dagger from his boot and sending it slamming into a warg's head as it turned to follow, before then drawing it out and sending it spinning end over end to bury itself in the eye of another. "'Novel,' he murmured to himself, studying the form and effectiveness of such an eclectic range of styles. Undeniably successful. Boromir was a far more formal fighter than Thorin had known, His sword flickered out in the parries and thrusts of the trained swordsmen, but he had less of the virtuosic flair of Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn. Rather, he moved in a workmanlike, soldierly fashion, each move economical and measured, each stance speaking of hours of drills. Then Gandalf's voice rose over the din of the fight, booming sonorously. "'Nor an Edreth amen!' "'Nor den I nor hoth.' "'With a mighty snapping roar, "'the trees around them caught a light. "'It almost looked as though their withered branches "'had suddenly grown leaves and blooms of flame. "'The wargs snarled and cowered. "'But Gandalf had drawn himself up "'and cloaked himself in the cloud of his full power. "'An old man no longer, "'but a great and terrible wizard, "'powerful and perilous.' The sudden light made the hill appear as though it was crowned with fire, and the last arrow of Legolas kindled as it flew directly for the heart of a great black beast with slavering jaws. It pierced and sank into its breast, and as it howled and snarled its death throes, the rest of the pack fled. Gandalf watched them go for a moment, before turning to the others. "'Is everyone safe?' he said, suddenly weary, bent old man leaning on his staff. Aye, whole and hail, Gimli said. Wouldn't have minded a bit of warning about that lightning flash. Won't be seeing it for days. Legolas looked as though he were barely repressing a rejoinder to that. Probably something else about eyes, Thorne thought sourly. Elves. We move on immediately. Gandalf said, and he lifted his hand into the air. Slowly, the flames died down until it was safe for the hobbits to poke their heads out over the edge of the stone circle. That was a bit of a close shave, said Mary. Let's not make a habit of that sort of thing, what do you say? Pat for the digestion. Well now, Sam said, didn't I tell you? Wolves weren't ever going to get old Gandalf, that's for sure nearly singed the hair off my head. One moment, Gimli said, and he ran over to where one of the wargs lay feebly twitching. He rolled it over, and then let out a soft, aha. We have no time for skinning that animal, Gimli, said Aragorn. We leave now. Aye, and I have no need of its skin, said Gimli, just retrieving my property and he reached down and jerked the throwing axe out of the warg's skull without a single grunt of effort, before tutting under his breath. Nicked it. Damned warg skulls. Thick as bloody rocks they are. No wonder you show such expertise, murmured Legolas. Gimli scowled at the elf without pause for the next two hours. Thorin rated it a fairly good scowl, the wee Thorns was still vastly superior. The